Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, Editor-in-Chief of Eater. I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Janine. Hi, Daniel. Amanda Clute, today we're talking protein. Yes, we are. So, Daniel, I was on vacation last week. How was it? It was great. Where'd you go? I went to Aruba with my family. Mm -hmm. While I was on the beach, you recorded this week's episode. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Can you explain to me and to our listeners what we are about to hear? Sure. So... There was a piece that did very well on Eater called How Protein Conquered America that was focused on muscle milk and more specifically muscle milk's bottled protein products. So Uh, these are the things you see in like Walmarts and bodegas and your gym. I think what was really interesting for me and maybe a lot of other people is like it bottles of muscle milk and bottles of other protein products are things that we totally take for granted. But I think there are a lot of people who when they started popping up, they're just like, what the hell are these? Like muscle milk even itself as a word was probably something that people were just like, what the, what the frick is muscle milk? Well, what's funny is like, we are on opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of Are you one of those people? Yeah. Like I will see to the gym, like, what is that? And just ignore it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't learn about what it was until I read this feature. And you, our listeners might not know, are kind of a a what? Fitness diet freak. A dabbler. Like you, you know uh, all the diets. You... A consistent dabbler. Yeah. Yeah, I like that realm of the podcast world and the internet of people talking about di- trying out different diets and what gym hacks they've got. So you brought on the journalist. Mm-hmm. Casey Johnston. Casey Johnson to talk about the piece. And then mm-hmm. who did you talk to? And then uh, one of the first guys that I listened to when I was getting really into this stuff, and I am i would say I'm not as into this stuff anymore, was a guy named Dave Asprey. Did you or did you not have a Bulletproof coffee this morning? I had a, <laughs> I had a Bulletproof coffee okay. this morning. just want to say that. But I used to be, okay, so Dave Asprey is the founder and CEO of a company called Bulletproof. And he's responsible for all those tech bros putting butter in their coffee. Like me. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I like, mean, you're not a tech bro, but all those tech bros. He's most famous for popularizing the blended coffee, butter, coconut oil mm-hmm. that a lot of people think is batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, again, on the spectrum, I'm I'm more on the skeptic side, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean anything because I'm skeptical of most what do you diet-related think, things. What do you think my approach is when I hear about new diet stuff? I think do you, you think I just get all giddy? I think you get excited about it. I don't know. I think, well, no, I just think you're you're all in on the on this one. It was my first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're you're a bulletproof bro. It's fair to call me a bulletproof bro. A thing to listen for in these conversations is this idea that protein has kind of always been around as something that or, or not always, but at least for the last 30, 40 years as something that has been a central part of all these diets. I mean, not all of them, but the majority. Mm-hmm. I'm super interested in whether or not that's true, like whether or not we should be having more protein constantly, but also ways that companies have capitalized on that on the health community's obsession with protein, um, either on purpose or, in the case of muscle milk, kind of accidentally. Mm-hmm. Finally, it's really interesting that bo- the way they actually both bring up how fast the information is moving in the health community. Uh, Casey's a little more cautious of it. She says things are moving very fast, and therefore it's really important for there to be some kind of public program that is educating people on what correct diets are and what quote-unquote good diets are, whereas Dave just thinks it's great that everything is moving really fast because he thinks it's going to lead a lot of people to what he sees as the correct diet or the correct way of eating. If you like 
the upsell, please remember to subscribe and to rate us and please share with your friends and family on the social media platform of your choice. If you have any questions or suggestions, please email us at upsell at eater.com. So here is Casey Johnston. What is Muscle Milk? Well, Muscle Milk is a, a brand of protein protein products, I guess I would say. Yeah. It was originally a protein powder. Slate. Yeah. And I mean, it was really, it was almost less a protein powder than it was like more so a supplement because it was like very caloric and it still is actually the original. They still sell muscle milk like in the same format and it has like a lot of carbs and a lot of fat and mm -hmm. like a decent chunk of protein, but it's like pretty caloric. It's more for like if you're trying to like bulk up something you would have. But muscle milk also makes as of what forget what the date was specifically in my piece I want to say 13 years ago they make uh convenient drinks that you right. can buy in convenience stores and have for a snack or lunch or whatever you want I think yeah. that's most people's like when they think of muscle milk they think of the drinks so yeah you wrote a a, a piece for Eater called How Protein Conquered America mm -hmm. and you centered it around muscle milk mm -hmm. why why'd you pick muscle milk I picked muscle milk because of that that element that you can, at least in New York, and I think this is true of like even, you know, suburban Walmarts, it's like you yeah. can walk into any bodega in New York and buy a muscle milk. And it's like, why is that? It's kind of weird because it's like a muscle milk is feels to look at an individual <laughs> muscle milk feels like a very like niche product. It's for somebody who wants to like, who like uh, is a bodybuilder, aspiring bodybuilder. Yeah. But most people who buy it are not buying it for that. They're buying it because they're like, oh, I want some convenient protein. I know protein is quote unquote good for me. So I want this drink to fill in this gap and make me feel like a virtuous consumer. So why do you think muscle milk has been so successful? It's hard to say specifically why. I mean, like it's very much a business story about I think that they saw an opportunity they recognize the opportunity to like extend their product beyond the niche of people who are who are like bodybuilders or weightlifters who are proactively trying to put on muscle and saw people buying these drinks who were not the target audience. Like I think I said in the story that there's a, a little anecdote in there about how they came they they made the ready to drink drink. I think they they put a little more effort into the flavoring of it. And they just started flying off of shelves. People were buying them by the case. People who were not like their typical customer, um, they were buying them still. They were only in uh, specialty stores still at that point. But I think they recognized that it just had so much more potential than, mm -hmm. than the audience that it had at the time. That's so interesting. So when you said, uh, when the daughter of the founder said something like, my dad expected it to just that we would, if we did 17 million in sales, mm -hmm. like he would be happy with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about this then, but so what that meant was that they all expected it to be a niche brand and like they were shocked when it started becoming. Well, yeah, they didn't make the drink with the anticipation. It sounds, I mean, at least mm -hmm. from what they tell me, they didn't make the drink with the anticipation that it would become like a convenience store staple. They made it thinking that like, here is an even more convenient version of protein powder that already exists. We think this will play well with people who already buy protein powder. And that was it. Mm -hmm. So you said that, like, you think that part of it was their their flavoring was was accessible. Was it that? I mean, it's hard to say now because, like, I wasn't I wasn't like cognizant of the yeah. of the the landscape when right. I when this was happening. But 
I think even if you try most protein drinks now, not that I love muscle milk or like anything like that. I don't even buy muscle milk like ever. But I think if I were to have my choice of protein drinks. Just by taste. By taste. Yeah. Muscle milk tastes good. And one of the reasons that it tastes good is that it tends to have they, – they actually play with the nutrients a little bit. I think this is a big part of it is that at the time that they went to market, a lot of protein drinks were like extremely aggressively protein-packed and then mm-hmm. would have like nothing else in them, like no fat, no carbs, which – and then they would have like artificial sweeteners and flavorings and that just tasted really bad. But like the people who were their audience were like, oh, well, this is just – my lot in life, if I want to have a convenient protein drink, I have to, you know, put up with that. And I think there must have been some market research that showed that people who do bodybuilding or whatever wanted, if they were going to have a convenient protein drink, it had to like sort of slot easily into their diet and be like almost strictly protein. Right. But muscle milk kind of rolled the dice on putting a little bit, like there's there's a decent chunk of um, fat in the drinks. They're, like, not that calorically um, effective, but it just, like, makes them taste so much better. It's, like, I think they sort of discovered that people will make that, like, somewhat minor caloric trade-off to have a drink that tastes better. At least if you're not somebody who is, like, hyper-focused on meeting your your diet macros for the day. What about the name Muscle Milk? It was originally Mother's Milk? It's a playoff of Mother's Milk. It was never called Muscle Milk or Mother's Milk. Yeah. Um, Mother's milk was like an old fashioned. I we we had we had a little. It was tough to to get the story straight because this information was based on a self published book that's like extremely <laughs> encyclopedic, but very obviously written by somebody who just like wanted to see this in the world about like the history of bodybuilding culture. And one of the things he mentioned was that one of the original um, protein supplements was called Mother's Milk and. One of the early sort of trends among bodybuilders was to drink like breast milk because I think people people were trying to relate it to like babies grow really fast yeah. and they drink breast milk. So if I drink if I continue to drink it into adulthood, then I will also continue to grow fast. And like that logic is not real. That's that's <laughs> so that was the that was the sort of wordplay reference idea behind the name muscle milk. But people are drinking breast milk again. I mean, there's like a, a big. Yeah, I mean, you can't control people. <laughs> like they will do all kinds of things, and who knows why. Do you think muscle milk is a is a good thing? No, f- unless the food is like poison. Nothing. No food in and of itself is like bad mm-hmm. or good. Like it's just a food. Like a food can't be a, a like a single food can't be a good or bad thing. I think that insofar as it's convenient, I appreciate as somebody who like I like I lift weights, so I need a I need to have a high protein intake, and I try to mostly eat actual protein foods. But it's also nice to have protein in convenient forms or in forms that are not like meat, fish, eggs that you can like mm-hmm. mix it up a little bit and have something that's like a different flavor. So insofar as it achieves that, I sure. think it's fine. Do you worry about brands that are taking things that are buzzy in, in the health community and like making them more accessible? 
No. Why would that be a bad thing? I mean, I don't mean more accessible convenience-wise. I mean more accessible taste-wise. Can you give me an example of? Oh. Like, do you think vegan uh, vegan cupcakes that are like really high in sugar? You mean like when people use health labels on things that are not? Sure. It's tough because I feel like it's on the individual to know that like a vegan food is not necessarily a healthy food. Like Oreos are vegan. Again, no food is good or bad, but like you aren't if you if you only eat vegan food that in and of itself does not produce a balanced diet that will keep you, you know, feeling feeling good and prolonging your life. It's hard because the information flow around this kind of stuff like moves pretty fast. And ideally, we'd have like a lot more public education about like what a good diet is, what these various things mean, what it means when something is natural or vegan or like low carb or like a quote unquote good source of protein, which like that that term is actually protected by the I think it's the USDA mm-hmm. or maybe the FDA. It's the FDA. FDA. <laughs> USDA. Totally different thing. The like so to to say that on a label is like means means a particular thing, and you wouldn't necessarily think that just from like reading those words. But like if you are familiar with like the public policy of it, you would know that. And I want to say there's even a dimension to it that like something can be a good a quote unquote good source of protein, but that only speaks to like how much protein is in the serving and not how much protein is in there like relative to the number of calories. Do you if you have like a 2,000 calorie bar and it has like, I forget what the threshold is, 15 grams of protein. could be a good source of Mm -hmm. protein, but it's not like that calorically effective. So it's like there's all of this sort of math and science that goes into like what's a good diet that we don't really get a chance to learn. And I only know because like I developed an interest in this. And I have done a lot of reading and, like, I have a science background, so I'm able to, like, absorb it and synthesize synthesize it pretty well. But ideally, there would be a lot more sort of information available about it, and we would, like, educate people better about it. Like, do you think it's wrong to have good source of protein on a bar that's 2,000 calories? No. I mean, like, that doesn't really happen in real life because I think there's there's some restrictions about, like, what a serving can conceivably be. I think the good source of protein or great source of protein, I think, is like the the next step up. Is, <laughs> Magna cum laude. Yeah, right. It's like summa, the summa cum laude of uh, of protein in, uh, content. I don't think that's bad. It's like anything you you talk about with nutrition or diet needs so much context in order for you for you to like know. Right. Like people people get so concerned about foods or like categories of food, and it's like barring an allergy you probably don't need to be concerned. I mean, like, I'm not I'm not a registered dietitian or anything like that, so, like, don't listen to me. But also, like, there's just, it's just, like, a lot more complex than the people who put pressure on different foods would, might believe. And, like, the cereals that label two grams of protein? Uh, that's very silly. Like, that's, like, uh, people trying to route around the labeling of the protein. Like, they, we, they can't put good source of protein or great right. source of protein, so they put two grams of protein. And, like... Just putting the word, I'd be so curious to know, like, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm, I have a pathological interest in, like, marketing stuff and, like, the sociology of it. But I am so curious, like, what the stats are on 
how sales change when you just put the word protein on the label, regardless of the context of it. <laughs> like, because people, because people, it even must, just the word protein, it must show. There must be like research that shows, like, oh, if this like cereal box says the word protein on it, even if it's only saying two grams of protein, <laughs> people buy buy it more. Like that has to be the case. You For know? sure. Like, yeah, everyone's trying to get in on the protein craze, even so, when. Do you have any predictions for the future of protein? Hmm. I do think that we will see a lot more foods that sort of play with the caloric and um, macro protein, carbs, fat content of Mm -hmm. them um, and the flavor profile. Like I think a lot more companies are realizing that this the, the notion that protein drinks started off as this like hyper effective protein vehicle and then people realized it was so much more extendable to the general population if you like made it a little fattier and a little tastier, but it still delivered that protein and like still was convenient. I think we'll see a lot more of that. Like, and it's sort of happening too. If you even look at like diet drinks, people are realizing like it used to be, there was either like diet soda with no, no calories at all, or like regular soda that was like 200 calories in a can. And now there's like these sort of this middle ground of like stuff that tastes good and has like a little bit of caloric content yeah, because all like over the because like actual diet food tastes terrible, but right. like if you just like temper it with a little bit of sugar, it tastes good and it's mm-hmm. not it's not the same as like having a full on soda. So like I think there's going to be a lot more of like experimenting in that middle ground of like what is like sort of has like a decent number of calories isn't like fully into the spectrum of junk food isn't fully into like a diet food it's like a little bit more like lifestyle health was something that muscle milk as a company was very into and i think that's like really where people are going is like what foods rather than having purely diet foods and like purely regular foods we're going to have foods that are a little bit more tempered towards being on a diet but not like so extreme that like you're miserable when you're eating them yeah and they're no fun yeah cool well casey johnson thank you so much thank you that was casey johnson you can read her entire piece on eater.com how protein conquered america i recommend it it is fun the parts where she talked about uh, meeting the founders of muscle milk and touring around the factory it's, it's, it's it's wacky yeah it's wacky Amanda, instead of an ad this week, we wanted to quickly talk about wellness in the schools. It's a charity that Eater has partnered with in the past and that I definitely support. They focus on bringing healthy food and fitness programming to public schools around the country. Around the whole country? Around the whole country. How can we support them? Well, they are having a gala on Tuesday, April 17th in New York City. It is hosted by Bobby Flay, Gail Simmons, Allison Roman, oh. former upsell guest. She's probably going to be making the cookies. Uh-huh. And Melissa Clark. And they're going to have taste from over 30 restaurants, including Gramercy Tavern, Aquavit, Oceana, River Park, Westbourne, and more. Wow. A couple of my favorites. Yeah. That'd be a fun, Gala. Can I? Are you, are you inviting me? <laughs> also, oh, yeah, maybe we should buy some tickets. Expensive to eat her. <laughs> or we'll just buy them personally and really support. All right, fair. All right, let's. We'll buy some tickets. Expensive mm-hmm. to eat her. Buy some tickets personally out of our pockets, and then give away a couple. So you know who some... else is going to be there? Who? Amanda Clute. Me. Yeah. I'll be there. Watch out. <laughs> so April seventeenth. Uh, check out Wellness in the Schools. Uh, check out their New York gala. And if you are not in New York. Go to wellnessintheschools.com and see wellness how you can help. Wellnessintheschools.org and donate.
So now that we've learned about muscle milk and its kind of origin story, I thought it would be cool to talk to an expert about what protein looks like right now. So I wanted to bring on Dave Asprey, who is the founder and CEO of Bulletproof. As we said in the intro, Bulletproof is probably most famous for popularizing the butter, coconut oil, blended morning coffee thing. The Bulletproof diet is more of a, of a lifestyle. It's it's very radical. You cut out nearly all your uh, carbohydrates. It's it's like a, a modified paleo. You eat absolutely no sugar. And, and, and a lot of people swear by it. They have coffee shops. They have uh, celebrity actors. There was a video where the actor Shailene Woodley was on Jimmy Fallon talking about how amazing this cup of coffee was. I just, I had this thing yesterday called a Bulletproof Coffee. Have you ever had one of these? I was meant to teach you about this and apparently you're already drinking it. Bulletproof Coffee? Yeah, Bulletproof long, Coffee. Yeah, this is it. I think since you were coming on, I started drinking it. You guys know about Bulletproof Coffee? It will change your life. We're going to take a look now at a counterintuitive new coffee trend. It's called Bulletproof But for coffee. as many celebrity yeah, in, in, endorsers there are, there are certainly a lot of articles written about Bulletproof saying that it is... Uh, basically pseudoscience and that a lot of the research is based on very little. I personally have found that taking at least little pieces of the diet has given me a lot of energy. So for that reason, I kind of support it. But if I die soon because my blood is filled with fat, then we'll, I guess we'll know that it's all bullshit. Anyway, uh, Dave is a fascinating guy because he both researches and studies protein and all supplements, really. But then he also takes that stuff and sells it. Whether or not you agree with his methods or research or whatever, he certainly says and thinks about protein as much as anyone on the planet. So here is Dave Asprey. Thank you so much for, for calling in. Happy to be here. We're working on a piece about protein, as I said. I was curious, just like, when did you as a human being first notice protein powder and start to interact with it? I started noticing protein powder in, I was in the late 80s. I was overweight as a teenager and as a young adult, I hit 300 pounds. And so I was looking at it maybe before it was uh, towards as common as it is now, but just like anything you can do that might help you lose weight. And back then we believed, you know, proteins a panacea. And if we were all on these high protein, low fat diets, it was going to save the day. And unfortunately it didn't really work. So what is protein doing when you're trying to get swole? The idea is that if you try to put on a lot of muscle, you just need building blocks to, to do this. And having an abundance of protein available in your body means it's easier for your body to build the muscle fibers themselves. But in terms of the, uh, the building blocks, how, how is it actually working? Like, you know, we hear that the muscle fibers tear and then the protein gets in there. Like, what's going on? So what happens, uh, let's say, you know, you, you do a curl and it creates enough stress that you get a little bit of tearing of the muscle fiber and then an inflammatory process happens and the inflammatory process calls in nutrients and then those cells as they repair themselves they basically got an environmental signal that said you need to have more muscle here because you just did something that can tear the muscle it should be thicker and bigger and you'll probably do it again so by just repetitively doing this but what is a big problem is if you don't have enough protein the body says well i got a repair signal so i'm only going to repair it um, so it's fixed, but I'm not going to make it bigger and stronger because it got a signal from what you put in your body. Of, oh, there's not enough protein in the environment for me to build big muscles. Therefore, I won't. Hmm. So originally you're playing a game of tricking your body into saying something bad might happen to the muscle. Therefore, it should be big and strong and invulnerable. And there's enough resources to allocate them to being big and strong and invulnerable. When you started taking protein in the 80s to now, how have you seen it 
evolve in pop culture? Well, it seems like there was this this big thing that started in the 70s, <laughs> which was, oh, let's all go on these low-fat diets, yeah. even though like like there isn't great evidence uh, for them. And once that came out into our, our food pyramid, circa 1972, I think, uh, we all started doing that. When it didn't work, we said, oh, it's because, uh, yeah, you need more fiber. Yeah, that's it. And then it morphed into, oh, no, you need more protein. That's it. So we started seeing all these you know, protein muffins and all these ways of, of putting protein into the body. And it was, it was exceptionally common, uh, even for people to be doing things like uh, you know, cottage cheese and eggs and then all these powders. And soy protein was one of the top powders because it's the cheapest. But it turns out, like the bodybuilders, even back in the early 90s, mm-hmm. they all knew, like they would sort of joke, like hey, if you really don't like someone, swap out their whey protein for soy protein and they'll stop gaining weight <laughs> because of the idea that different proteins do different things. How does soy protein continue to become more and more popular, even though the research that you have says that it is terrible for you? One of the the cheapest food that you can possibly make and package and, and big food, uh, you know, just the industrial food supply, it's always been around. How do we make food that tastes at least okay and is really cheap and has a very long shelf life? And the, the easiest thing there is carbs and sugar with no moisture, no protein, no fat. The next thing you can do, though, is you can put in some protein. And protein also has a very long shelf life if it has no, no liquid, no moisture with it. And fat is actually the most expensive food. So putting fat into things can also enhance their shelf life if it's hydrogenated or <laughs> things like that. So what they're looking to do is hmm. have foods that are primarily sugar and carbs. And if they can't do that, they'll put protein in them and they'll put the cheapest protein possible. So soy protein, hey, it's plant-based. It must be good for you. Uh, and it's also just dirt cheap. So you can get it uh, for less than almost less per pound than almost any other protein on the market. In fact, it might be the very cheapest on the mm-hmm. market, from what I understand it is. And that's that's why, because there's been a constant drum of contained soy protein must be good for you, part of a healthy diet. You right. hear this for 25 years, it enters the national consciousness, and we just, we hear soy and we mm-hmm. think healthy, but the reality is the opposite of that. Just like we hear low fat and think it was healthy, it turns out well we're mm-hmm. kind of built out of fat. What caused that trickery? Like, why why do you think that companies uh, are now are now trying to are now are now advertising protein? Because I feel like even even five years ago it was it was low fat. It was like this Cadbury bar has only a hundred calories, yep. but now it's like this chocolate bar has six grams of protein. Uh, what's going on is people stopped believing the low fat myth. They realized anything that says low fat means it's full of sugar and it tastes like crap. And, and that is actually, if you see that on the label, that's what it means. Oh, it means I'm a good person if I eat it, but I won't like my life. So what other, what other claims can you make? And part of this is driven by regulation. If you're selling a food, you're not allowed to say what the food does. Because if a food does something that's health-related, then it's a drug by definition, according to regulatory authorities. So you see all these food products that would like to tell you, there's this type of protein, this amount, it does this for your body, but you, you're not allowed to say it. But in the public consciousness, uh, protein has become equal to health. So instead of saying it's low fat, you say, here's how much protein there is, which is a way to keep you from looking at how much sugar there is in it. Hmm. And I, I feel for, I mean, Bulletproof is a food manufacturer. And, and I feel for all of the food manufacturers where we are not legally allowed to say what our stuff does, even if we know it. And there are dozens of clinical trials. It doesn't matter. You just can't say it. 
So what do you say? You say 10 grams of protein. And if you look at the front of our collagen protein, uh, like the smoothie powder, it's 22 grams of protein, and it's collagen protein. Right. It does things different than cheap protein, but the consumer has to know that. So what would you say on there if you could say anything? Well, I would like to say, here's what collagen does for skin hydration. Here's what collagen does for oh, gotcha. inflammation in the body and things like that. But yeah. you don't you don't get to say those things, even though there's plenty of facts and you know biologists know all this stuff because then those would be claims. What's going to happen to protein in the next in the next 20 years? I think in the next 20 years, we are going to come to realize that a high protein diet is actually bad for you. <laughs> protein is a terrible You think that source. like the general yeah. that'll be general consensus? I think that'll be general consensus. And the wonderful thing about the internet now is that ideas can spread at a speed that they've never spread before. Uh, this would have been something written in a textbook. And it would have taken you know, 25 years to, to go through nutritional schools and medical schools if they even taught nutrition. And along the way, it would have been subject to editing by the large uh, food companies right. that are uh, contribute heavily to that kind of research. And it might have taken really 50 years. But now you see a bunch of people say, well, you know, I went on a more moderate, higher quality protein diet and Oh, and I got this $100 test of my gut function, and look, I lost weight, and you know, my, my gut bacteria worked better, and life is better. And they tell all their friends, and then they share it with their friends, and all of a sudden, you can have the rise of these completely new ideas. Like, who would have thought Bulletproof Coffee, which is even more radical than just you know, eating good protein, it's like, how do we go from zero to 100 million cups of Bulletproof Coffee in about five years? Uh, well, it's because of the fact that people talk about what works. Podcasts. Not just the podcast. It was actually word of mouth. It was just people saying, I did this and I felt different and I didn't die. Right? They're like, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, like there's something to this. In fact, I really like it. And the same thing will happen with protein. They're like, hey, I just, it was strange. I actually ate less of it, but I ate this really good stuff. Right. And I didn't lose muscle, but I slept better. And, and like, we're all starting to pay attention and we're also getting data, like from rings that monitor our sleep and things like that. So the days of being able to say something is healthy, that will all just completely collapse in the face of millions and millions and millions of data points from people who talk about what they do and actually get data that's just built in to their doctor's visit or built into their daily life. So all the myths will collapse and we're going to be faced with this really interesting conversation that says, you know, maybe you shouldn't be eating, you know, a pound of protein every day. It's actually not necessary. Maybe mm -hmm. you should be eating uh, more vegetables, but not plant protein powder, actual real vegetables. And that by doing that, uh, you're actually much healthier than if mm -hmm. you went on a high protein diet. And I think this is, it's inevitable. Do you think that these bottled, these bottled protein shakes, which are now all over America at convenience stores and gas stations, you think they will no longer be there in 20 years? It, it's interesting. Right now we have bottled sugar water or even right. worse, bottled diet soda, which has like fake sugar that's even worse than, than sugar or fructose in it. Sure. Right. And so I don't see those going away. And would I rather have some sort of uh, protein concoction than uh, some sort of sugar or diet soda? Yeah. So on a spectrum from like, good God, why would you put that in your body? Any of these protein things is probably going to be better for you than any of these sugar-based things. And so will these things go away? Absolutely. They won't go away. But I think what's going to happen is people are going to say, well, am I willing to spend an extra 50 cents to buy one that has a better quality of protein or one that has a better quality of, of vitamins or fats or other things? 
And we're going to start saying uh, something that I'm really seeing at, at Bulletproof. It's like, what is what does this food do for me? And it's no longer about like, right. how cheap is it and how good does it taste? That's what big food taught us to care about. But what we actually care about is how much energy will it give me? How will it make me feel? And then how does it taste? And then how convenient is it? And then how much does it cost? So I mean, I'm seeing college students. I'm willing to spend an extra dollar a day on stuff that makes me full of energy instead of saving a dollar a day mm-hmm. and just being tired in class. Because the return on investment for drinking a higher quality protein thing is really, really high. And so the shift is going to be, you just look at it, whether it's full of sugar, whether it's full of some kind of protein or some kind of fat, people are just, we're becoming educated, we're becoming smart. We're saying, hold on, what kind of protein is that? And if it's the right kinds of protein and the right kinds of fat and the right kinds and amount of sugar or other carbs, we're gonna say, all right, I wanna put that in my body and it has to taste good and it has to be affordable. And the companies who do that are going to pull way out ahead. Will there still be candy bars in 20 years? Yes. Will consumption be down from where it is today? Yes, it will. And I think the same thing will go for these mm-hmm. relatively cheap beverages. And not to pick on muscle milk, I haven't, I've not looked at the ingredient list at all, but there's a call to quality for all of these things that we consume regularly, where consumers are just too smart to eat you know, junk protein, junk sugar, any of these things. We want to know what's it going to do for me, and we're smart enough to figure it out for ourselves. Actually, that's everything I have for you. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for calling in. Happy to help. Daniel. Yeah. Excellent job. I'm so happy to know that you're that back while I'm away, <laughs> sitting on the beach. You can it only keep takes me two weeks the to, upsell to make a podcast. Going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I learned I'm, a lot about protein. More than you wanted. I more than I need. Yeah, I might forget some of it. Yeah, um, just like protein, you're probably you might be taking more than you need. I will probably never have muscle milk or collagen protein powder. Unless I'm gonna, you trick me into you, drinking Can it. I tell you something? Yeah. You had collagen protein powder I know, this, this morning. This morning you made me drink some of your coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that was a conversation I was excited to have. Um, I, I wouldn't call this pseudoscience. I, I would, you know. I don't, you wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. But whatever you'd call it, next week we are done with health. <laughs> yeah, we're one and only episode about health. No, no, no. We'll do more, maybe. Mm, yeah. <laughs> But uh, thank you so much for listening. That was Casey Johnson. You can follow her on Twitter at Casey Johnston with a T. Dave Asprey has asked that you maybe check out his collagen protein bars on Bulletproof.com. And we ask that you rate and subscribe to the show. And maybe shoot us an email at upsell at eater.com with questions, comments, concerns, suggestions. And catch us next week where we bring you the best food stories of March. Everyone's favorite episode. Certainly my favorite one. Mine to too. The Eater Upsell is hosted by Eater's editor-in-chief, Amanda Clute. Uh, Amanda, would you like people to check out your newsletter? Yes, please do. Go to eater.com slash newsletter. And me, I'm Daniel Janine. I have no plugs. The Upsell is recorded at the Vox Media Studios in New York City. We receive a ton of support from Carrie Clements, who runs all our bookings and studio time, from Miles Ewell, who is our engineer, and from Maureen Ginone Fitzgerald, who is the executive producer. 